Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Cool weather and sun. Don Wardlow. Hi, everybody from New Jersey, where it's a nice day today. It's in the, I'd say, high 50s. Luther King. Good afternoon from a 60 to 70-ish degrees, Nashville, Tennessee, with a cold front coming in the middle of the week. And the Reverend Reverend Michael Garrett. Welcome, everybody, to a very nice, partly sunny, 80 degrees, Missouri City, Texas. Send it back here. We had it a week ago, (laughs) two weeks ago. Hey, hey, Rev, tough break for your boys yesterday. We'll get into it, though. Uh, We will. All (laughs) right, so let me do this. First, and then we can introduce our special guest. Let's thank some folks to, because they make it possible for Sports Roundtable to be made available. We start out with <laughs> Raymond Gay, our executive producer. Thank you for what you do. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place phone chat line. Thank you for posting our shows on greeting door number 14. Our media sources. Thank you for airing us when you do. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. Thank you very much for archiving our shows. If you want to hear them, go to www.brancoevents.com. Click on Sports Roundtable Podcasts, and you will see all of our archived programs, or most of them anyway, from latest to earliest. And in the immortal words of thank me before I even got there. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Perfect. Very funny. Uh-huh. By the way, thank you, Desi, for being our host for today's episode. We appreciate you taking the time Thanks, to Desi. be with us. Back again for a second appearance here on Sports Roundtable, we have the radio man from the El Paso Chihuahuas, Tim Haggerty. Tim, welcome back. We appreciate you coming back to us. Well, thank you, Bob. So, Tim, I have a question right off the top. Right off the top. What do you think of the oh, World Series? I thought it was really exciting to see two teams that hadn't been in it in a while. Um, it, it was amazing what the Texas Rangers did. I saw a note the other day that looked at Bruce Bochy and the teams that he took over before he took over compared to his first couple of seasons. And with San Diego, San Francisco, and Texas, it was amazing. When they, when he shows up, they just start winning more games. Um He's either one of the most talented managers ever or the luckiest guy ever. And I'm now, he's, uh, how many talented, how, so pretty amazing. Exactly. How many managers, Tim, have won it all in both leagues? I know Bochi's won. Were there any others that won it all in both leagues? Well, I saw um, Fox showed a graphic on that. Um Let's see. Who would have won it in both leagues? Sparky Tony, Anderson. Tony Sparky. Oh, of course. Larusa did it. Of course. Sparky Anderson with Detroit and Cincinnati. That, that's, th- that's three. Um, I think Matt, Dusty. Of course, was with only the Athletics. Right. McGraw, the Giants. Um, I'm blanking. I, I should know. I think it's other. three. I thought. At least it's off the top of my head that I know of. We we got we got uh, we, we got the top Bochy, three: Bochi, Larusa, and, and Anderson. Anderson. That's three. That's three. And that's hard to do. I mean, 
that's really hard to do. But I, I do want to piggyback off of something here, though. What are your thoughts on Greg of uh, Stephen Vogt being the new hire for Cleveland? Greg Council basically making a lateral move to go from the Brewers to the Cubs since he was a free agent. He stays in the same division. And then the other managerial hire, I think, for the um, Carlos, the Mets. Carlos, the Mets. Carlos Mendoza, yeah. the Yankees bench Carlos coach. Who, who do you think who do you think has a better shot with their new managerial hire? I know we're still a long way off before spring training gets here, but I'm thinking it's going to be council with the Cubs because he, he's already got a decently made roster with talent already if he doesn't mess it up. I look forward to some sort of detailed write-up about how today happened. I mean, I was sitting there at lunch <laughs> just flipping through uh, articles and social media, and it was like, you know – Three different teams broke news. Sources say this person will become their manager in a couple of hours. Yeah. And Mark Feinstein was the biggest one. From the yeah, and I remember just, uh, you know, John Heyman on MLB Network, his tweet that said, Council is expected to make his choice today on which teams he wants to manage. Imagine being that, that level. <laughs> I mean, these, jobs, these jobs are so hard to get. It's so hard for these people to even get an interview for a major league managing position. Exactly. Council's at a position where he can pick which team he wants to manage. And and he, he his contract ended last Wednesday, if I'm right, because I remember listening to 97.3, the game out of Milwaukee, the home of the Packers, and they're like, Craig Council's contract is over, I think, like that next day, and I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna be but a free the Cubs agent. Are gonna give him forty million dollars over five. Oh, years. he he's gonna earn every penny of it. You I was gonna say that. you can't call that a lateral move, not when his <laughs> bank account well, you, goes well, from you, no, four million a year to eight. That's not lateral. But, you, yeah. but no, but you're staying. But the, but the reason why I said it was lateral, guys, is he's staying in the same division. And for me, it just feels like isn't this like a Basically, tell Milwaukee to go shove it because it seems like Milwaukee. It feels like to me they're 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 kind of the MLB version of the Arizona Cardinals and a few teams that want to tank. They're cheap. Well, they don't want well, to I pay their guys. That, I, I saw a report that Craig Council, as a player, was very involved with the players' union. He sees that as an important perspective in the game, and that he wanted to raise the bar on manager salaries. There are Fair. NFL coaches that are getting $10, $15 million or more a year. That was not the case in baseball. I mean, baseball managers were making less than just about all of their players. Mm -hmm. And I, I suspect that it was not anything to show disrespect of Milwaukee. He grew up there. He played there. He's managed there to great success. His father worked for the Brewers. I would suspect emotionally it was a hard thing for him to do to leave. He's from there. And from what I understand, will continue to live there. Um, so I think maybe he had that players union mentality when it comes to now looking to help out not only himself, but future managers and saw that the salary was something that could help not just him, but his entire field. I'm, I'm curious, um, Don, you may know this. And of course, Tim, you might too. Um, the Mets hire, the bench coach of the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, Doza. I I don't know much about the Yankees, but I don't know why anyone would anyone would want to hire anybody from the Yankees. I don't even I didn't even know who Mendoza given, was. Given, given the Yankees track history over the past couple of years, I didn't He's know been who a long term coach with the Yankee organization. Yep. Uh, one of his stops was Charleston, South Carolina, which was my dogs. last stop. Yeah, my last stop in the baseball world. 
Um, only I left about 10 years before he ever showed up. But still, long term, you know, just because the Yankees have done poorly the last few years doesn't mean all their coaches are no good. Their manager and GM, yes, neither of them are worth the Chinese nickel. But <laughs> Carlos sure. Mendoza very well might be, you know, good. Who knows until we won't know at least, chance. at least what, two or three years down the road? At least. But I guess my question to anybody who I, I've never heard of this guy before, it doesn't mean anything. I don't follow the Yankees very closely, but I wonder what prompted the Mets to, to bring him on. Probably a change. My guess is a change of scenery and probably wanting to see, you know, instead of going, you know, analytics with the Mets or whatever they're doing, maybe it's a change of scenery for him where he can finally maybe set down some roots and actually see what he can do as a manager. Well, the Mets underachieved well, last Don year. And, Don, and, oh, Don and Tim, Don and Tim, would would it have anything to do with possibly relationships? Maybe he had some a good relationship with some of the Mets. Uh, good point. Higher, higher ups. Good point. I know he's become a, a hot name this winter. I saw him connected to Cleveland. Uh, the San Diego Union Tribune listed four finalists to be the Padres' new manager. He was one of them. There, he interviewed with the Mets. I think that sometimes there's trends where you get a hot name, somebody who has everything that you want, uh, ability to run a game while it's taking place, to prepare for it before the game happens, to communicate with people, to be able to communicate to the media. Um, you know, and this is years ago, but it just comes to mind. When I was broadcasting for the Portland Beavers in 2009, mm. uh, the manager was Randy Reddy. And Randy Reddy, you guys probably remember him as a player, Sure. He managed with the Houston or um, interviewed with the Houston Astros to be their manager. The Seattle Mariners were looking for a manager. Reports were that Reddy was talking to the Astros and they said, well, maybe we should talk to this guy. They contacted him, too. So I think that happens. I think there is a window. Um, you know, the bench coach in Houston, Espada, has had more than five major league managing interviews over the past handful of years. I think sometimes when you interview with one team, it puts you on the map for others. This kind of feels like what Eric Bannemi is dealing with with the commanders. They want him, you know, to interview for the job for a head coaching gig, but they say he's so bad at interviews that he basically the only thing he can get is a coordinator's job. I wonder at what point do we just say, okay, can he do it? And I'm I'm wondering if that's the same kind of parallel with what you get with a lot of guys in other sports where it's like, okay, he's in their eyes, a good coach, but his interview skills are so God awful bad that the best he can probably get is a bench coach or maybe a hitting coach or maybe a minor league roving instructor. Michael or anybody has anybody, what's the talk of in Houston about who's going to replace Dusty? I haven't heard anything on him on them yet either. I haven't. There, there are a few names uh, banded about, but the the word is from from uh, from the owner and the GM. We're in no hurry. Mm -hmm. That's 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 from that's from the uh, who, from the front office. Who are the names? No who are the names that are being like thrown in the hat? Like that could be. Well, Joe, Joe, is, Joe Espada is one. I know yes. they're looking at him. Right. right. Yeah, he he he's one, but but and 
the rest of the names that I've heard of, and I can't remember offhand who they are, just some of the local sports guys are, are throwing names out. But but you got you got nothing from Dana Brown. You got nothing. You got, you got <laughs> nothing from Jim Crane. They're they're they're, they're being there mum. No hurry. <laughs> they're being mum. They're being. It's mum. only yeah, November. Is, um, you know, one I read from Jason Bristol, a TV reporter there in Houston, is that Ron Washington's name has come up. Oh, I hope he of gets into the managed in the past. Knows Dana Brown well from Atlanta. Um. That would be an interesting fit. I really hope Wash gets another chance at it because the way it ended at Texas, I really hope he gets another chance at it. Well, I, congratulations to Texas. Did he have some illness or something? Was that? I don't. I don't remember. It may have been. Was, you might be right. There was some story. There was some story that came out. You that, might be right because I remember Washington, he had to step. He had to step away yeah, yeah. from ball for a while. Right, right. I thought it was an injury. I mean, uh, yeah, some sort of illness. You, you might be right because I, because I mean, I remember him on the, on the third in the third base coaching box with the Snit and the Braves for the last couple of years. When he made his return back to baseball. Yeah, so I guess we should uh, congratulate. We sort of did already, but uh, I, I was personally surprised. That Texas swept the three games, you know, the three that, games. That I like. Remember, that, we talked to our guest about that. What was it last week? And I said, whoever won two out of three in Arizona would win the series. I didn't think it went in on a Wednesday. Three out of three sweep. Another right. thing, nine and zero oh on the road. Try eleven and zero. Oh. Eleven and zero oh on the road. That's crazy. Eleven and zero. Oh. That doesn't. Happen. I told you. I told you guys. That's a really good hitting team. That's a gr- that's just a gritty bunch all the way around. They just need a better bullpen. Oh, they oh, hey, and it, let did, me tell it didn't hurt them this time. <laughs> uh-uh. well, it didn't. It didn't. In fact, um, and, and their starting pitching was good. I mean, you know, none of those. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Evaldi was pretty doggone good yeah, himself. Why can't we get players like him? Right? <laughs> uh, I think you had him actually yeah, as a did. Red Sox fan. I know, but that's an old expression, but, Don. You've heard it before. When your guy leaves, yeah, yeah I know. About him. Well, don't we always say, "Why can't we? Yeah, get why can't we have? Well, you had yeah. him. Did you let him go? You dimwits. And yeah, Heim <laughs> let him go. By the way, Greg Breslow is the new GM for the Red Sox. Yeah, I heard that. I mean, and, I, I, Capper said something about it on Facebook about a week ago, and I'm like, dang. And, and you know, guys, what happened on Wednesday? Uh, not Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday, game four. Yeah. Let let that be a lesson to all World Series managers. Do not throw a bullpen game in the Dear World God, Series. Dear God, no. That was embarrassing. You got that right. That's That why was Tampa embarrassing. Bay never wins. That was such a that, travesty. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm sitting there listening to Schulte in his final broadcast, and I'm like, what? In, excuse my French here. What the hell are the Diamondbacks doing? You have no starter after your best top three starters? Right. That's and I'm the... like, what the ish? Arizona's already screwed. Because you've already had to use like three or four arms out of that pin, and now you're gonna have the you're gonna have your, your arms throw again. Like Right. And now I know, I know this'll never happen, you know, because it makes too much sense. You can't uh they should, but you can't you can't throw a bullpen make... game. Right. I mean, but you can't Make a list ahead of time. These four guys, Joe, Jack, Bill, and Charlie, 
will be the four starters, period. There will be no, no fifth starter. Thing. And, of course, that won't happen because it makes too much sense. Strictly for the World Series now. I don't mean for the no, look, regular no, season. They, you got to have all the starters nah, in the they, world. They should, this should be for every one of them because if you really want to know the truth about it, I think that's why a lot of team starters get burnt out before we get to the month, before we get to July. You can tell the guys that are shot by the time you get to June. Tim knows this probably firsthand better than anybody. How many times do you remember when you did the broadcast of guys having to go up and down on the nice, beloved, and talented up and down airplane or subway travel from El Paso to the big club and then back again because they don't have enough arms? Off to Tampa Bay Rays about that one. I mean, Tim probably, Tim at the minor league level knows this probably better than anybody else because he's seen a lot of them go up. How about it, Tim? Yeah, there was an El Paso reliever a couple of years ago, Kevin Quackenbush, who was brought up to the majors 14 times in one year. 14 times. That's insane. Yeah, with the. And and for listeners who don't know and, and, and fill me in, your, your El Paso Chihuahua is the big team is who? San Diego, another team without a manager. Thank you. I, Thank you. I, uh, you know, be interesting. I, I'm 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 older, and I I do have some problems remembering these things. So speaking, speaking El Paso Triple A is, uh, and the major is San Diego, San Diego Luther. Go for it, Luther. Speaking of the Padres' former manager, how do you think he's going to do with the San Francisco Giants? He's got a great track record. Obviously, he's so well respected that he continues to be um, a hot candidate for these jobs. I mean, you think back to when he was managing Seattle and then Arizona. Um, the list goes on. Oakland, of course, his longest tenure. And then San Diego. They had a disappointing year this year, but made it all the way to the National League Championship Series last year. Talking about Melvin? And yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And You know, it's interesting. We talk about the World Series. The Diamondbacks became one of the stories of baseball, unexpectedly making it to the World Series without – a roster full of star players. Um, but then the storyline was that the San Diego Padres had such a disappointing year. They cut ties with the manager and let him go join the Giants. And all of those themes are well-deserved. There's a rumor to baseball is that the Arizona Diamondbacks won two more games than the Padres this year. Two. That was the difference. 94 um, and 68 to 92 and 70. It's just... Uh, and again, both of those things are deserved. Arizona made it all the way to the World Series, and San Diego, with a roster full of stars, didn't make it to the playoffs, and that was disappointing. But to me, that's what I love about baseball is that there's so many games, so many innings, but at the end of the year, for the most part, these divisions come down to just a couple of games. As Bill Parcells always says, your record your record basically says you are what your record says you are. And Tim, have you heard a rumor that San Diego wants to trade Soto as a salary dump? I read that in The Athletic that they'd like to lower the payroll compared to what it was at this year. Still has an entire season left. I, um, I'd i be surprised. You know, they, they're keeping much of that core together. I, I would assume they're going to do whatever it takes to get back to the playoffs this year. If, hypothetically, they weren't in the race in July, I think that would become a huge story. But um, we'll see. What do you think the talk is to trade him to my Yankees, and the thing is, my Yankees already have a Juan Soto. His name is 
Giancarlo Stanton. Why in the world do you want two of those on the same team? Guys who are well, for un- one, under underwhelming at best. Well, for one, that's well, second base. There, there, there is an answer to your question, Don. Because who is the general manager of the Yankees? Al Steinbrenner. Uh, Cashman. Oh, Cashman. Shouldn't, Cashman. Oh, shouldn't be, but he is. Yeah, he shouldn't be. And, and I, by I, the I, way. I can, I can see the Yankees making a trade like that. It, it, and it, it's in character. If, if my math is right, isn't isn't Soto still in his, isn't he still in his prime at like in his 20s? He's about 27. So, that's what I'm that, saying. That's the amazing thing, Don, is um, a couple of weeks ago, Juan Soto turned 25. 25. There you yeah, go. he was. Uh, oh my God, he was in the exactly. I thought the same thing. He was in the major leagues at 19 years old. Yeah, and even though you know his 275 batting average isn't stunning, he gets on base a lot. He led the major leagues in walks. He has a 410 on base percentage, and I think a left-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium, uh, there would be a lot to like there. And with that short porch, he can he can he can hit he can hit that short porch easy. And he's younger and probably gonna and if you can, you know, get what looked of his contract and maybe, you know, add some more years to it, but knock the cap down a little bit, you can keep a Soto and maybe have Jared Carlo come off the bench instead of actually start. And well that depends Soto's, on where you um, want to Yeah, that too. Soto's that agent is Scott Boris, and he's famous for wanting to go to free agency, and Soto has just one year remaining. Yes, he does. Um, you know, it's a, it's a high salary because of arbitration. He's might make close to $30 million this year on a one-year deal, but after that becomes a free agent, and you talk about a guy who's 26, who is an all-star, who's getting on base more often than anyone in baseball, that's going to be a huge contract this time next year. And Shohei Otani right now is the hot thing right now in the market right now, too. What's he going to get? What team's going to offer him the most to maybe leave the L.A. Angel of Anaheim? Fort Knox. Somebody will give him Fort Knox. Back up the Brinks truck, boys. Well, he's not going to pitch the first year, so the contract won't be as valuable. Right. Right. I'd be very cautious about him because of his, he's, he's got some really tough injuries right now. So yeah. Well, with his arm, yeah. With his elbow. I'd be very cautious. Very cautious. But, but would you he may consider, not get as much. <laughs> would you consider for anybody, including Tim, if you got Shohei Otani as a hitter, not a pitcher, would you consider the contract then? Or would he basically tell his agent, hey, I have to do both pitching and hitting in order to make this work? Would you take I know when he when he came to Major League Baseball, from what I understand, he absolutely wanted to do both. Um, as you guys just described, obviously he can't pitch right away, but I would guess long-term he wants to continue to do that. A, a scout told me a couple of years ago that the Padres, during the bidding process, really wanted to become a candidate for Otani, but he didn't want to go to a team that didn't have the DH. And that was before there was a universal DH when he mm-hmm. first came over. And the Padres at that time had their pitchers batting. There was no DH. Um, so at least as of the time that he was coming to the United States to play Major League Baseball, that was a priority. So I would say once his right arm gets back that he could do what he was doing with the Angels. But how long do you think it would take him to get, you know, back? Because I've I've heard for getting that type of surgery, 
from what I've heard from, you know, some broadcasters and other things like that, it at least takes a good year and a half to get back to where you, at least to somewhat where you were. Tommy John, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And this is his second one, no less. Is it his second one? Second one, he had had one in either 18 or 19. Oh, wow. I I didn't even know he had had one in 18 or 19. I didn't didn't remember that. I'd forgotten about it. I mean, I didn't even know. I I didn't even know about it until you just mentioned it. So, Tim, I have a question uh, for you. You know, obviously, the your uh, play-by-play season ended a while back. <laughs> what do you what What do you do? Uh, you know, during the off season, what's a typical day, or what kinds of things are you sort of doing to prepare? If, are you taking for, a break for spring? So, I'm a full time employee of the team. Um, it's a great front office staff here. Great bosses. It's a good setup, and there's a, a number of different tasks away from the broadcast. I'm the media relations manager. So during the season, there's a lot of incoming items, um, media requests. We do daily stat packs and rosters and game notes. There's questions from the coaching staff when they need certain things prepared. During the off season, I also work in corporate sales. So meeting with businesses here in El Paso about a broadcast spot or about other advertising that we have around the stadium. I'm also a guest speaker for a team. So Throughout the offseason, I'm occasionally the speaker when a local Kiwanis club wants somebody or a, a school. Um, I'm also our liaison with Major League Baseball, and that's become a bigger job every year because of the rule changes. So I don't run the automatic ball strike system. I don't run the pitch <laughs> clock, but I oversee the employees who do. Um, which, by the way, when people joke about robot umpires and they, they think that they're replacing you know, they're taking away jobs. It is absolutely not true. There are more employees in AAA ballparks than there ever have been because of how many different people are required to run the automatic ball strike system. So, um, yeah, I'm also our liaison on that. So I'm on the receiving end of emails when there's updates, when there's equipment that's coming in. So, yeah, during the homestand, I'm broadcasting games, but also overseeing a handful of other employees. So how, how many, because I know I know during the season you missed a few. You had your number two broadcast from the final few games of the season, I think on a road trip when we were on ESPN El Paso. So you, I know you weren't there on the road trip. So is that is that what you were taking care of on the final weeks of the road trip since you weren't traveling with the team, since the team wasn't in postseason contention? Well, thanks for listening, Luther. And I, I don't like to miss games. That is rare that I miss games. But my college, Vermont State University, kindly inducted me into their Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. you. Marvelous. Well done. All right. Thank you. Well done. Appreciate that. And the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the ceremony mm-hmm. took place during the Chihuahua's final road trip. So I decided to fly back to Vermont. So that was kind of unusual, uh, listening to your team's games, um, <laughs> you know, on your mobile app when you're sitting in a, a hotel in Vermont. But I bet. <laughs> um, it was great. It was a very nice, nice of them to think of me, and, and I was really glad that I did that. You know, and sometimes during the season, we think, my wife and I have a young son, and the analogy I use is, it's that first time you're leaving your son with a babysitter. You're thinking, is everything going to go okay? And then you just exactly. realize it's fine. It's just, it's fine. Don't worry. You can leave. Um, oh, my. And everything was fine. So I was really glad that I did that. Where is Vermont State? I know about the University of Vermont. I never heard of Vermont. So, if you've ever heard of Linden State College, that 
merged with another college in Vermont and they renamed it Vermont State University. It's in Lindenville. It's up near the border. It's 40 minutes from Canada. It's in Vermont's most rural area, the northeast part near Canada and wow. New Hampshire. Um, so it was freezing, but <laughs> I bet it, uh, it was also a great broadcast experience because it was in such a rural area. I was able to get a job at a radio station and I was covering news events. I was writing scripts. I was doing play by play of local high school events, um, was able to do some TV reporting for the CBS affiliate there. So looking back, it was great that it was in such a rural area because I was able to get airtime when I was 19 and 20, whereas in a bigger city, I wouldn't have been able to do that. You think we... we so how did you get, uh, without going into enormous detail, how did you get from uh, northern Vermont to Vermont. southern Texas? Yes, I went from one border to the other. Um, <laughs> so while at college... I found out about the winter meetings and I thought I had a scoop. I thought I was going to go there and just be a free agent and teams are going to be making me offers left and right. I, back then you didn't have links yet. You used a CD for your demo. And I had this bag full of CDs and resumes and I had my baseball American directory and I walked into the winter meetings and I saw about a hundred guys who looked exactly like me hunting for four jobs. There were four teams looking for broadcasters. <laughs> But I was lucky. I, I got the job with Idaho Falls, the Chuckers, the Royals affiliate. Ah, uh, the Chuckers. <laughs> and from there was the broadcaster three years at Mobile in the Southern League. The Bay Bears. You know, Don, the... Don and I have talked about the Southern League before. Um, the Bay Bears. And from, exactly. From there, I was one of the two broadcasters at Portland, Oregon. Rich Burke, my broadcast partner, continues to do really big work. He's filled in on the Portland Trailblazers recently. Pac-12 Network College Events uh, has done the Olympics. He was my broadcast partner there. And I'll try to make this part fast. I know you said without going into too much detail, I might be guilty already of that. But um, the Portland Beavers were in a really unique situation where they shared a stadium with the minor league soccer team, the Portland Timbers. And the Timbers soccer team was very well supported, and they wanted to get major league soccer there. Major league soccer said you can't share the stadium anymore. And when plans A, B, and C all fell through for a new baseball stadium for the Portland Beavers, uh, the Padres AAA team didn't have a home. So they went to Tucson for three years as the Tucson Padres, as the long-term plans were being sorted out. And El Paso's ownership and city came through and built this awesome, beautiful stadium in downtown El Paso. So, yeah, I was broadcasting for the Padres AAA team in three different cities, and it all worked out. So I, I have a, uh, another question. Your, your story about Portland, uh, the efforts to build a, a, a stadium for a baseball team um, falling through. I, I assume this is something to do with the controversy of does do how much money, if any, do cities get from building stadiums or subsidizing stadiums for for teams? Uh, and the research I'm aware of is that the answer generally is not much. If anything, they, they lose money. Um, I guess I'm curious about what what your experience, what you learned from that experience, going from one city who said, "No, nah, we don't want to support you," to a place another city who says, "Yeah, we'll we'll build we'll build we'll build you a stadium or help you build a stadium, whatever the case was." Well, I'd say that El Paso it's just been amazing. Um, it was done via a hotel tax and also contributions. Our ownership is all local business people. 
and it's been tremendous. New businesses are popping up downtown. If you look at downtown El Paso 10 years ago when I moved here compared to now, it's a big difference for the better. Chihuahua's gear is all over town. It's become a phenomenon. I think the best, um, most passionate fan bases in AAA I've noticed are places that it's a big city, but you don't have a major league sports team there. For example, I don't mean to name names. These are great places. But for example, I've called games on the road in Las Vegas or Nashville. And it's very exciting being in big cities like that. And the atmosphere is great and the stadiums are great. But as far as the percentage of people that really want the team to win and really have that investment, you know, those are people that go to Titans games or Predators games or Las Vegas Raiders or the Golden Knights. Whereas in El Paso, we're a big city. There's 700,000 people here. And people get so into this. I mean, fans will boo when the team makes errors. They get mad at their <laughs> chihuahuas. Uh, this is not a place where they only come out for the fireworks and the, um, you know, the hot dogs and the promotions. Of course, we do that. But I've noticed that when I get to broadcast playoff games, people are so into it. So to me, this is the type of city that's perfect for a AAA team because it's their team. I get, do want get to, to get the... our participants involved with our program right now. You're listening to Sports Roundtable. Our guest is Tim Haggerty from the El Paso Chihuahuas. He's a radio man for that club. So let me ask Desi if there are any hands raised. Are there, we are do there... have one hand raised, and that okay. is Joe Marks. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Joe from Philly. Yeah. Yes, Philly what can friend. we do for How you this we? fine day? I knew Good Joe evening, would come gentlemen. today. How are you, Joe? Uh, I'm doing good, uh, Michael. I'm sorry for your loss. Um, <laughs> I knew that was going. A game of a game of inches. A game of literally, inches and inches and, miscues. and and a lot of penalties. Yes, um, you're talking yellow. about the Eagles romp over the Cowboys, Joe. Is that what you're yes. talking about? You mean yes. the, the the game that it was survival. Yeah, <laughs> and and, and I, I found it really interesting what you guys were talking about with. Um, some of the baseball talk and mm -hmm. and some of the the Craig Council getting the the Cubs the uh the Cubs job yep. yep considering Joe Girardi was in their commentary booth um radio commentary booth and he was still look he is still looking for work and he had been touted both with the Cubs organization and the Mets organization now with both of those positions now at the table, it ought to be interesting to see. Houston. Yeah, well, I, it'll be interesting because that that mm -hmm. could be an interesting dynamic. And then the other point I wanted to make, you guys brought up about managers that, and I could be wrong because this was before my time, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but was Jim Leland another manager that won in both leagues? I remember uh, with, he did it with no, the Joe, he, uh he won with the Marlins, but did not win with Detroit. Did yeah. not win with Pittsburgh oh, okay. or Colorado. So he won. He won one World Series. Yeah, I, I thought he won in Detroit. That's that's no. what I was confused about. All right, they lost. Yeah, Detroit Cardinals had some great teams there. You know, they made it to the World Series in 06, 06. Made it to the yep. World Series in twelve. Made it close in fourteen. Um, to me, they they kind of remind me of those nineteen nineties Cleveland teams where oh, just yes. great players, and he made it to the World Series, but didn't get that championship. Yeah, especially the especially the ninety five bunch yeah, Atlanta that had a hundred. What was it? A hundred and hundred and sixteen and forty six or whatever it was. So, 
I had two questions, and they both pertain to the NFL. One being about a controversial situation that's been all the rage and all the talk, and I just want to get everybody's perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to call it, the tush push or the brotherly shove, should it be outlawed in in the league and why? Could you explain what that is, Joe, for those of us who don't know? Um, so what is typically a quarterback sneak, the Philadelphia Eagles have uh, kind of modified it where the running back who lines up behind the quarterback pushes the quarterback once he goes into the sneak and all the offensive linemen get very low so that way the quarterback has more power to push forward for a yard or two. It's it's just a modification. Basically, it's the, it's the modern-day version of the rugby scrum. Yeah. Well, now, now Jordan Mailata, who's on our offensive line, he comes from rugby, and I would tell you this, Luther. He's been asked and said that to him, and he's he's six foot eight, three hundred and thirty pounds, and he's gotten very upset at people who called it a a, a rugby scrum. Well, that's he what said, it is. I mean, I'm sorry, Jordan Mailata, but last time I checked, when you got one dude behind you and about eight nine hundred pounds of humanity and elephants that are up front pushing your quarterback, who's basically the lowest dude in the meat of the sandwich, that's a rugby scrum because the yeah. defender can't do anything about it. I don't. I don't completely disagree with you. It, it's just my the the thing that I am getting a little leery about is the league is taking such exception to how well the Eagles are doing it that it's kind of like, well, we got to outlaw it because it's well, too here's good. the pro- here's the problem that they're going to run into. Even if they wanted to outlaw this, they would still need 24 24 votes to pass it. So if they don't get 24 votes to outlaw this, it's not going to get outlawed. And as long as they're not pulling a guy off the pile or whatever in the the language of the rule book, it's perfectly legal. And I have no problem with it. It's like uh, the question is not if it's legal. We know it's legal. The question is, should we made illegal? No. My, my basic my basic reaction is, unless it can be shown, it, it increases the likelihood of injury. Let you know. Uh, you let know, it go. What's that? I, I don't have a problem with it because yeah, I'm like, either. hey, they're, a matter of fact, they're the only team that has the personnel to do it. That's why. That's why owners and teams are getting so mad and pissy about it and getting their panties on wide. Because I they, I don't think they're the only team that has the personnel, but they, they, they they're the only ones that know how to do it, right? I mean, it, it, everybody brings their big package in. Well, of course, and, and it's all about leverage, and and uh, they seem to be able to to get better leverage, uh, and it's it's mono e mono. Yep. So, Tim, do you follow football at all? Yes, uh, casually, not enough to know. You know, nearly the names is experts like you guys, but I enjoy watching it. My son and I watched Eagles Cowboys yesterday. That was some finish. Yes. So, yeah, speaking of that finish, uh, the question I was asking myself is who wants to actually win the game? (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) First, first the Eagles create all these penalties, 
And then Dallas blows it as they always do. It seems to me in big moments like this, a sack, about two false start penalties. Yeah, I mean, you know, not knowing how to not knowing how to get to the end zone. You know, just well, I'm talking about the last uh, 20 seconds or 20. Oh, that that was late. I mean, it it, uh, that itself. uh, Yeah, you know, how about the last minute? How about I mean, the Eagles had a chance to bury it before that, and then Jalen Hurts throw. I'm like, why is he throwing on third and one? I'm like, I know still to find a way. It's like the Chiefs. The Chiefs found a way to beat Miami yesterday. Exactly. But the Eagles right now can find a way to win, whereas the Cowboys, sorry, Michael, find a way to, to gag it. To, 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 to well, hey, it, it is what it is. Minutes. Yeah, you I, know. I was hoping, I was hoping on, for ahead, a Texas bro. miracle because <laughs> we had miracle games. We had miracle games Saturday. Uh, the, the Texans pulled out a win. My that God. Week. It could happen again. It could happen again. And yeah. and by the way, it was the it was the same <laughs> amount of time on both of them. Forty six yes, seconds. Forty six seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, how, I how mean, much of an anomaly the, is that? The the interesting thing for me is <laughs> especially like with Dallas that it, it and I said this because this has been a big topic of conversation here in the city, especially in the past week, is the <laughs> Dallas Eagles rivalry doesn't exist anymore. Because it's not these aren't the Cowboys of the nineties. And I disagreed because I'm like, they still went to the playoffs and we didn't in in the early two thousands with Roma. Uh so no, I don't I don't agree that the rivalry doesn't exist, especially when, you know, the potential for how this is gonna shake out. Now, this brings me to my next question. Mm-hmm. The Detroit Lions second best team in the nfc is that you know is that snake oil or is that real i'll say ask the question a month will a better answer yeah ask come back to it let's come back to it right before christmas and then we'll answer it because there there's still like nine weeks left in the year for some teams two months left in their season we'll find out because we're about to get into an interesting stretch so yeah, we'll find. Detroit has to play Dallas at some point. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's like the twenty third or twenty fourth or Christmas, either Christmas, either the Saturday before Christmas or Christmas Eve. By the way, alone. Peter, the, the the Chiefs have have done well, but there was a stat that I read just today where it was they haven't scored any points in the second half of the last two games. It's well, amazing, and both. The Eagles and the Chiefs are both coming off their bye uh, this next week. They're going to both have their bye, and they're yeah. both going to face each other after it. So it's going to be interesting. That's going to be it. That's going to be it. Only scored six points in the second half. Six points against the Eagles. But, but the Eagles, the Eagles, Eagles have a lot of injuries, so that the bye should help them get get. And so, back. and so do the Chiefs. Both teams. And I mean, so, and when and you the when Chiefs, you, the Chiefs. Interestingly enough, uh, they don't have a marquee receiver except for Travis Kelsey. And yet they still win. He he completed passes to nine different receivers yesterday. Mm -hmm. So the the question is, who's the next guy up? They thought it would be Tony, but it's not. Well, my my thought on this is this. If the Chiefs play defense like they did – They've got a chance, and I'll be right back. So I I, I wanted to congratulate how about, how about, you. 
How about, Hurts? How about J- Jalen Hurts? Uh, 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 is it his knee, Joe? Wow. Yeah, his left knee. Yeah, now, no, nothing has been disclosed. The major injury, injury news that came out today is Dallas Goddard has a fractured forearm, That's and he'll right, be out right. for about a month or so. Um, so we are in the, uh, I guess, shopping for a tight end. The first name, if Howie Roseman was going to pick up anybody, is a former tight end for the Eagles, Richard Rogers. Um, I hope there's someone better out there. The world is alive with us. Peter, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to congratulate Joe. It's been a really good uh, week for Philadelphia. No kidding. The Eagles win a a big game, and uh, the Eagles got – the Sixers got rid of – James Harden. They got rid of Harden. Good luck, Clippers. And I genuinely don't understand how the the, uh, Clippers gave up so much for him. Um, well, it, w- it is it is it is a mystery to me. I, I don't. Peter, think- let me let me just put it this way: it was either that, or they were going to have to deal with a disgruntled James Harden and Daryl Morey and that feud that will never end for the whole year. Yeah, but well, they'll be disgruntled like, again for the Clippers somehow. No, it, the question it, I'm asking happen- is not the Sixers getting rid of him. The question I'm asking is why would the Clippers give so much to get him? That I My mean question. that that's it. Yeah, first round draft. I mean, it's just crazy what they gave him. Uh, I mean, they they gave they basically came up like what four dudes and like yeah, a couple of draft picks. Marcus Morris, uh, Nicholas Batum, KJ Martin, uh, Kenyon Martin's uh, son. Yeah, and then we we got back a guy that we had with the process, Robert Covington. So he comes back, and then we got a a first round pick in twenty twenty eight, a conditional. Uh, another a couple other conditional picks, but the interesting thing, and, and I hate to say because I never would say this in, in any other situation, but I actually <laughs> feel bad for the LA Clippers coach because he's got two head cases in James Harden, <laughs> Russell Westbrook to deal with. Good and luck. Let, and let's not forget, did we or did we not see this in 2011 slash 12 when they when those two were with the Thunder and they had Kevin Durant. Scott and um, Scott Brooks had to put up with that for a while. Let's well, not now forget that. They don't that. have KD as the referee, so you know, know Joe, your seventy sixes have tremendous depth. I was impressed with the other pickup that they made that nobody talks about, Mo Bamba. Oh yeah, I never saw that coming. What a major plus that was. That's a huge plus. Well, oh, I I think that the steal of the off season for the Sixers has been Kelly Oubre. Kelly oh Oubre yeah, has stepped into a role where we were like good riddance just because he's he's averaged 20 points a game so far in the first five games so that is deep. definitely really considering deep. he was supposed to come off the bench how much more growth do you think we'll see with harden's departure of tyreach maxi because do um, they do they do they have a chance to get maybe beyond the second round with an Embiid, with a Maxi, with a Ubre, and some of these other guys that they got, can they I, get there? I here's the thing: I, do I think that now with this year? No, I, I don't. But I do think Maxi's going to take a very big leap forward. Um, I think All Stars in his 
in his future. Definitely. Um, I think even the potential for a scoring title could be in the future. Maybe not this year, but th- this kid's got a bright future. And in, like, I would tell you guys this. Keep an eye on the tra- the transaction wire because um, mm-hmm. the Sixers aren't done. We, we we still have Tobias Harris. We still have other pieces that we could we could trade. Tucker. It'd be a miracle. Usually, it's a miracle for a GM in the NBA to be able to trade one max player in a season, let alone two. If Daryl P- Morey pulls this off, he should be the GM of the year. I I think PJ Tucker's going to have a role with that team defensively. I think. PJ Tucker's got a chance to have a nice role in the on that squad defensively. Yeah. Well, uh, I, Joe, I thank you guys. And thank you very much, Joe, evening. for your contribution. Yep. Uh, Desi, do we have any more hands raised? There are no more hands. All right, just interrupt us when that happens. We don't yeah, mind. Please, we'll be talking okay. anyway. Okay, we did have one earlier, but she left. <laughs> so. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, so Tim, uh, getting you back into the conversation, I, I am genuinely curious. How did the uh, the Chihuahua name co- uh, get connected with El Paso? El Paso's in the Chihuahuan Desert, so that was okay. part of it. And um, that, it was done by Brandios, a company based in San Diego that's done a lot of minor league logos. And they came through. Uh, the logos are really cool. There's an EP logo for El Paso on some of the caps and they have a star in the middle of um, the P letter and there's a star in the mountain, a local uh, site here that's become quite famous on the side of the Franklin mountains. So the logos really have a local flair to them. And I was here when that name was first introduced and there were some wacky minor league team names at that time. This was before (laughs) some of the crazier ones like trash pandas or, uh, <laughs> Iron pigs, Iron pigs. Yeah, this was uh, shortly before the Akron Rubber Ducks, for example. <laughs> yes, so, it was really interesting to see. The response was mixed. Some people that day did love it. Some people did not. But the thing is, flipping through social media, listening to the calls we got that day, nobody said anything about the logos, which I think was was telling. And now they continue to be among the the biggest sellers not only in el paso but nationwide and it's funny over time i'm sure you all feel this way about your favorite teams but at first the chihuahuas hadn't played a game yet when that team name was introduced but now a decade later you couldn't picture the team being named in anything else so am i correct uh so with the way you described it the that the team was not named for the uh shall we say toy dogs by the state (laughs) No, as far as, um, you know, the logo is a, a chihuahua, the, the dog for sure. Okay. But as far as that dog in particular and how did it connect to our region, the Chihuahua Desert is part of it. The state right next to us in Mexico is Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, so it's a phrase that certainly has some connection to the city. What do you think they're going to do with the minor league playoff format? Do you think they're going to you know, with MLB now running the minor league uh, system, going to maybe have it go back to a three out of five, or you think it's just going to be, you know, the where you play your first round series and only play your your uh, league championship in a neutral site, and then the national championship for minor league baseball at that neutral site as well. 
it was interesting last year for the first time in my time in the Pacific Coast League, they switched to a split season format, right? Which I know Don and some others are very familiar with. Oh, that I remember that. Some levels of the minor leagues, double A, Cal League. Yeah, for years though, the Pacific Coast League, you have to go all the way back to the '90s before they had it. It used to be 150 games. and in the case of 2022, out of those 150 games, got to win your division, and that's what gets you to the postseason. Yep. So last year, the format here was a best-of-three league championship series, which Oklahoma City defeated Round Rock in. I know you guys had Alex Friedman recently. He yep. probably talked about that. Um, I saw that in Bob's emails. So that was exciting for them. And as far as if the, is that officially going to be the format for 2024, we don't know yet. Uh, last year's final decision on that came pretty close to the start of the season. The thing I like is that if you win the first half, that three-game championship series is in your home park, and then it becomes a neutral site when you play the AAA National Championship game against the International League team. Yep. But I love now that teams can get back to hosting postseason games in their ballpark. Exactly. Because in El Paso, they've become so popular, so raucous, just uh, some of my most favorite memories here in El Paso are calling home playoff games that uh, maybe this season we'll have a chance to do that again here in El Paso. It was you a down you... year for the Chihuahuas. Uh, the team finished with a losing record, but um, an entertaining season nonetheless. You Jim, think can you explain to me um, and maybe other people how this half season thing works? So, uh, well, just explain it. How, how does it work? So, at the end of the halfway point in the season, if you're in first place, you clinch a playoff spot. So in AAA, that's after 75 games. Mm-hmm. And then no matter how well reset. you do, no matter yep. how well you do in the second half. Yep. Exactly. There have been teams in the minor leagues that win championships with a losing total record. For that reason, um, oh. Oh. then the standing so, yes. reset. And- so the first <laughs> half. So the first half, the, the winner of the first half gets automatically gets in the playoffs. And then what happens next in the second half? So then the standings reset. So if you had a bad first half, you have a chance to put that in the rearview mirror. You are zero and zero on that random day in July or whatever it is and have a chance to then win the second half. There's some precedent to it. It's happened in the major leagues. Happened in 81 during the strike. Back in 81 after the strike year. Yeah, and it was Cincinnati that got hurt by that, right? Cincinnati. Yes, uh, yeah. Exactly, had a better record than the playoff teams, but did not make the playoffs. Um, so well, I grew used to, you know, I, I love baseball as a marathon and not a sprint. I loved mm-hmm. the idea of 150 games. Um, but I did grow used to the, the split season format after seeing it. And I think the theory is why it's happened in the minor leagues over the years is because the rosters are changing so frequently. It gives cities and fan bases some renewed enthusiasm at midseason but yeah i i had not seen a split season since 2007 which was my most recent year below triple a uh before this past year 2023 so uh, tell me so okay so you have a winner of the first half and a winner of the second half right and then yep. what happens next that how's the how do the playoffs work so the winner of the first half then hosts a best of three championship series against the winner of the second half. And then uh, the same thing will take place in the International League, the other AAA league. So that's that's the big deal. That is winning your league championship, 
those participants receive nice championship rings, trophy, mm-hmm. banners, everything. But in recent years, they've then added a one-game AAA national championship, which is televised on MLB Network. That's held in Las Vegas. So uh, in late September, Oklahoma City played against Norfolk in Las Vegas for the AAA national championship, and Norfolk won that, um, which is fun, too, to have, you know have a game on national TV. Mm-hmm. One other question for my curious, weird mind. <laughs> So the, the winner of the first half plays the winner of the second half. Does the winner of the first half always get home field advantage, or is it based on the, the better record of, this, of the halves? Always home field. And part of that is it gives that ballpark months to sell tickets and also for travel. In AAA, we're taking commercial airlines. We're not on charters. Mm-hmm. So buying 30 plane tickets just a few days in advance uh, can get expensive. Whereas I think major league baseball likes that. Okay. We know where this championship series is going to be. And we can plan for that prior to this format. For example, the Chihuahuas sometimes were paying for plane tickets for two different cities late in the regular season, because let's say El Paso is already clinched, but another division hasn't. They know Ooh. they're in the playoffs, but they don't know what city they're going to five days later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so or they or like, quite a cost for AAA teams. So I think that was one of the benefits of this new format. We have about another 30 seconds to go before we have to sign off. So any final thoughts, Tim, about the future of baseball or whatever you'd like to say? I am very optimistic about the future of baseball, more so than I have been in a decade. I loved the pace of play rules. I think everybody has their critiques of major league baseball, but I think when it comes to the rule changes, they aced it. They took their time. They experimented in the minor leagues. And we went through a whole postseason without a single pace of play controversy at all, which was everybody's biggest fear. And I think the pace and the rhythm are back. It reminds me of baseball 20 years ago. I agree. agree. Tim, thank you very much for taking the time once again to be with us today on sports Roundtable. And good luck with uh, all that you're doing during the offseason. And then, of course, next year, getting back to the radio business and continuing with your work as an announcer for the El Paso Coyotes. Thank you very much, Tim. We appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you, Bob, and and thank you to everyone. Um, Great to talk to you again, and I appreciate what you do. Thank you so much. And to everybody else, thank you as well. And go safe with God's abundant blessings. Thank you, Desi, for being our host. And have a great week, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Sports Roundtable. Bye for now.